Hey everyone, I'm Ferdinand and I'm the gathering director here at the River Church at our Holly location. Thanks for checking out one of our messages today. We would love to get connected with you and your family. One easy way to do that is to text River Connect one word to 97,000 or you can visit our website at theriverchurch.cc to learn more about us and our upcoming events. If you'd like to give to the River Church today, you can text the amount you want to give to 84321 or you can visit our website and click the Give tab at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoyed the message today. Good morning, church. Yeah, excellent. We are excited that you are here. My name is Roy Townsend. I'm the Grow Pastor here at the River Church. We're going to be beginning today in Matthew chapter 5. For those of you who have a Bible and like to turn there and be ready, it will also be on the screen. But it is my privilege to be able to share God's Word with you this morning. And it's something that we don't want to take for granted. It's something that we don't want to just say, hey, that's just the way it is. Because there are churches today that are not meeting under the direction of God's Word. There are places in the world where the church may not have the scriptures in their language. And we don't want to take that for granted as we stop and say, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to be together and study your word. If you are new here or you're just catching up, we are finishing our Sermon on the Mount series today. We'll be finishing the last portion of Matthew chapter 5. I've had a few people say, hey, you know, this was great, but man, you guys are really taking your time on Matthew chapter 5. Like, this has been like four months, you know, two months last year, two months this year, you know. What is the deal? And uh, well, I, I just want to say as kindly as I can, we see in our culture, we see in our church, God's word is not penetrating people's lives. We're living by our own standards and not the teaching of his word. And so when we are very mindful as a church, when we gather together, I mean, we are going to be covering Matthew chapter 6 next year in the fall. And Matthew chapter 7 the year after that in the fall. Because there is a lot here. And I'm hearing from people that they feel like it's meaningful, but it feels a little long. So we are finishing Matthew chapter 5 today. But when God's word does not penetrate our lives, we are in trouble. I hope we see that. We meet together under the teaching and the preaching, and it must inform and direct our lives. We can't miss this church, and that's why we're taking an opportunity to go deeper. We pray for the Holy Spirit when we meet because we know that God's chosen people missed it. We're going to talk about that today. We know that his disciples missed it. And we know that sometimes we miss it. And that's why we're slowing down and taking this deeper look at it. So we're going to pray for the Holy Spirit. So I'd like to begin in a word of prayer. I want to pray for the Holy Spirit to work in this time as we study and hear this word preached. Lord, we come before you. And we thank you for the opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the opportunity to have your complete word. We thank you that we have the complete word in our language. We're thankful that we have the opportunities, the rights to gather and preach and teach and love. 
Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would work in a mighty way. I pray that I would be out of the way. I pray that myself included as an audience that we hear this and apply this and grow from this. We ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 43. It says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, words of Jesus, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It has been interesting to me as I've studied this and heard the sermons on on this scripture that we've been talking about. It's crazy that we sometimes miss it. We sometimes get in here and start reading, and we, okay, okay, yeah, I think I feel like I understand it. But the Sermon on the Mount has told us that people didn't get it. I mean, his disciples said, when Jesus said, this is the correct view of marriage, his disciples, like, you know, threw the little flag, like, time out. If that's the rules for marriage, why would anybody get married? Those are his disciples when they're hearing his clarifications that are being taught on this concept. We need to look deeply at the reasonings uh, behind and the meanings behind phrases and words that we use. I call them false friends. When I run into a word that I don't understand, I used to look it up in a dictionary for you young people. It's this book of words. For, for you technologically advanced people, you grab your phone, you hit the button. I'm not going to say the button because mine might turn on if I say that. But, you know, you say, hey, what does this word mean? And then it'll say, would you want to look on the web? Do you want to read it for yourself? Would you like me to tell you what it means? Right? You know, this, all this technology. But we also have these words that we have what I call false friends as I've studied this. This term is used a lot. Is it just something that I think I understand? Is it something that I understand because that's how it was interpreted to me, how I was raised, right? We have all these things, you know, like in my house, gravy is milk gravy. You know, that's how I grew up, milk gravy. I go to some other people's house and they say, oh, you want some gravy? It's like, uh, I don't know because if it ain't milk gravy, I don't want it, Right? You know, so it's like you say, boy, what do you mean? I go, well, there's a difference. Okay, there is a difference. And so people use words, and we understand words, and sometimes it's how we grew up. I worked with a bunch of international students earlier in my career, and they would ask me very, very, very deep questions about words. I used to think that I understood a few things about English, the language that I speak. But apparently I don't. Right, Because they'd ask me a bunch of questions, and sometimes I'd be sitting there, and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know why you're asking this question. I, it's really strange to me. You say, what do you mean? I said, the use of idioms 
were really, really difficult for our international students. They would come to me and they'd go, um, what does a dead ringer mean? And I'm like, oh, a dead ringer, that means, you know, you look just like somebody. It's like a doppelganger. It's like a mini-me. It's like, and I started using all these cliches that they didn't understand to try to explain what the dead ringer was. And then, oh, well, you know, what, what does Saved by the Bell mean? And I go, oh, you're going to love this. This is like an action. This is like a boxing movie, right? And there's two boxers. And the guy that we like, he's backed in the corner. And they're boxing. And he's getting the snot beat out of him, right? And all of a sudden, they ring the bell. And then he gets a break. And he can get it together. And they're like, oh, okay, okay. And I said, oh, you know, like when I teach, you know, uh, you know, for those of you who have been in schools and are teachers, maybe you've, my blood pressure was really elevated at the end of every period. <laughs> and I could just feel the blood, like, ooh, I can feel it. It's tingling all the way up. You know, I'm ready to go. I, yeah. When does this period end? Okay. Um, how much longer can I hold it together? And the bell would ring and I go, ha ha, you were saved by the bell. And so I'd send that to my international kids, and they'd come back, and they'd go, you're wrong. That's not what that means. I'm like, no, no, that's, that's how we use it. Well, it might be how you use it, but that's not what it means. And they go, oh, you know, apparently a dead ringer was uh, before we would embalm bodies in America. We weren't really sure you were dead. We just thought you were dead. So they would tie a string to your toe. And they'd bury you, and they'd run that string up through the ground, and they'd hook a little bell up on there for a few weeks to just see if you were... And if the bell went off, we had a dead ringer. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, thank you for the lesson. I I wasn't... Sorry, but just so you know, we're so smart that we don't know what that means. So this is how we use that language. You know, saved by the bell, same thing, guys. It was a dead ringer, okay? Oh, they're alive. They were saved by the bell. They would ask me things. You know, the school was on the corner of Shimmons Road and a road called Dexter, and I'd say the word Dexter, and they'd go, Dexter. And I could tell by the way they're freaking out. I'm like, uh, yeah, why would somebody name a road Dexter. Uh, I think it was probably their name. I don't know. You know, some, somebody named their kid Dexter? Well, apparently I don't know what Dexter means. So I'd go, well, tell me, what does Dexter mean? Dexter means evil. It means sinister. It means left-handed. Apparently that's what we thought of left-handed people at some point. <laughs> I'm right-handed, so it didn't offend me. You know, so I was like, okay. Well, just so you know, we don't know that what the word Dexter means. It's just somebody's name. So sometimes when we're looking at the scripture, right, we can get caught up in this. Do we know, which is why we are committed at this church to our growth communities, because we need to be studying his word. That's why we push people in their next steps Are you into God's word daily? Are you studying his word? Are you active in a growth community? Do you come to hear the word preached and taught so that we can get to a deeper and better understanding? Because I have people read this and they tell me all sorts of crazy things. They say, oh, that's right out of Matthew chapter 5. This is how it's supposed to be done. Well, the Jewish people at this time, they had missed it. Because they had taken the scriptures 
It says, have you heard that it was said you love your neighbor and hate your enemy? Why did they go to that? The Sermon on the Mount, the point remains that Jesus here has been clarifying point after point in his message. He says that it's not just the action that makes something wrong, it's the heart of the matter. He said, hey, you think murder is when you take somebody's life, but it's when you hate them in your heart. That's the first step toward murder. You think adultery is when two married people have a sexual relationship outside of the marriage vow with their spouse. He says when you lust and covet in your heart, that's when the adultery starts. And it just goes on and on, these points. Because they had twisted it. They had missed it. They had messed it up. And now we get to love your enemies. Have you heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemies. It's interesting that the sequence goes from anger, right? And the sequence keeps moving along, and then you get to divorce and marriage, and then you get to oaths, and then last week you get to retaliation. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, Pastor Jason was talking about. We feed that rage monster, right? And now we get to, hey, you... We, we're teaching you to hate your enemies. It's just one of those things. You keep wondering. Have you ever wondered? Because I do. How did I get here? How did they get there? When they look at the scriptures, when they see how Christ had brought them out, how God was leading them, even the Old Testament scriptures seem to have a clear understanding when you look at them that you wouldn't think that the religious teachers could say, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But now he doubles down. He says, but I say to you, not only do you love your neighbor, but you love your enemy. And how offensive that is. We don't like to like people who are different than us. We don't like to like people who treat us poorly. We're Americans. We stand up for each other. We don't let people treat each other poorly. That's what we're taught. But here, the Jewish people are being taught to honor God, you have to hate people really well. And then they start to define the neighbor as only a Jewish person. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read it one more time. Verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it's not just love your enemies, but there's a little extra there. And you need to pray for those who persecute you. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors some of the most hated people in the ancient world, do, you not even, do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles, the, the God's not chosen people, do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Some people look at me and they say, hey, you know, 
I think you've missed it, Roy. Because the traditional teaching of the Jews, they were pretty strict. They were pretty focused on how things were supposed to be. And part of that verse sounds like the scripture. But the average man was being taught, the average woman was being taught, the average child was being taught, and they believed, the scribes, the Pharisees, and the religious leaders, that said, hate your enemies on a very personal level. This isn't talking about, you know, hey, we're at war with another country and we dislike them or we hate them and we're fighting them. This was, you hate this person who lives down the way because they're not a Jew. You need to hate them. You need to show God how much you love God by how good you are at hating them. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, we see where the Jews at this time got some of this teaching from the Old Testament. It says, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so it seems there, okay, they take that verse in Leviticus and they say, oh, we're going to expound on this and we're going to teach this to our people. And over the years and over the centuries, and eventually you get to Jesus's time And that verse in Leviticus, which, yes, it does say don't hold a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor. And they say, oh, well, we're going to define our neighbor is only the Israelites. It's only the Jewish nation, the Jewish people. The scripture agrees with the first part, but how did they get to that second part? Are there any other verses in the Old Testament? Exodus 23, verses 4 and 5. It says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it and you shall rescue it with him. So this is just after the recording of the Ten Commandments. Huh. If you see your enemy's donkey or his animal and it's getting away from him, you're supposed to grab it and bring it back to him. If you see the donkey who can't fulfill the burden, the burden, the weight is too heavy, you need to help the person who hates you free his donkey from that burden. You can't just walk on by. The book of Proverbs, chapter 25, I know we studied Proverbs over the summer. It says, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. Are you kidding me? Feed my enemy if he's hungry? I don't want to do that. It says, if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. No way. Uh Uh-uh, not my water. I bought that water. Did I buy that water or did God give me that water? As a Christian, as a believer, as the church, we are called, as his chosen people, they were called to live differently. But instead, they're twisting. Instead, they're missing it. The scriptures clearly teach. And Paul, the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 12, basically takes that proverb and gives us a very detailed description of how we're supposed to love and treat the people who hate us. So how did they get there? I wonder this frequently when I get someplace where I don't want to be. How did I get here? 
right? What did I allow into my life that got me to this point? Some people say, well, they only considered the other Jews their neighbors because when God told them to take over the promised land, they went in and they had to eradicate, they had to exterminate, they had to get rid of the people that were in the land. Again, that's no different than us in World War II. We were called in, right, to fight the enemy. That's a corporate thing. But they'd taken that corporate thing and they said, now let's put this in our everyday lives. You know what? We really don't like the Gentiles. So let's just teach that we're supposed to hate them. As a matter of fact, let's just say as a better way of honoring God, you have to prove how much you hate them. You have to take it to the next level. You have to double down. And you know what? My natural man, it tells me, it's easy to love some of you. Some of you are like me, right? I see a few Michigan symbols. I went to the University of Michigan. Ah, it was nice. Yesterday was nice. (laughs) Yesterday was just a wonderful day for many of us. It was not a wonderful day for others of us. Others that may have difficulty with me because I went to the University of Michigan. Right? Well, it's all right. This is church. We're supposed to love our enemies. Right? It's easy to love people that look like me. It's easy to love people who act like me. It's easy to love people who like the things that I like. On the other side... It is hard to like people who are different. It's hard to like people who make me uncomfortable. And it's really hard to love people who hate me. I mean, I have a few people in my lifetime, my career, that I think, man, they hate my guts. Ooh, they hate me. It is hard. I mean, no, they hate me. No, yeah, they hate me. If I were dying, they would let me die. Yes, there are a few. There are a few. How am I supposed to love them? How hard is that? What is Jesus saying here? What is, what is he calling us to? How is this supposed to be done? I would say that I've missed it. Because I feel righteous in disliking them who hate me. I feel good about it. Well, they don't like me. So, hmm, don't care about them. I mean, I'll be nice to them if they're right there in front of my face. But other than that, I don't like them. He didn't tell me I had to like them. He told me I had to love them. Another one of those false friends, the word love. Why did the Jews do this? They wanted to take God's law and say, look at how good I am, God. I can follow all your rules. I can follow all your laws. We'll twist these laws so that I look good. It's disgusting. We have to fight the natural man. We have to know this. That what he's calling us to, this is radical. Love those who persecute you. Pray for those who persecute you. Did Jesus have enemies? Yes. The world even thinks of this world, this word love your enemies. 
Man, anytime the church stands up on something, oh, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to love your enemies. You can't stand up for what you believe in. You're supposed to love your enemies. Is that what he's saying with the word love? It's very difficult. There's all these shades of words. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The New Testament was originally written for us in Greek. And the Greek language has a lot of variations in words. So what we translate to love, I tell people, you know what? I love hamburgers. Do you ever want to call me? And go for a hamburger? I am in. I have not met a hamburger for the most part that I do not like. Crazy, wild hamburgers, I love it. I've had one with an egg on it the other day. Real good. I didn't think it was going to be good, but it is real good. They had one, they put jelly on the hamburger. I said the same thing. I go, that's nasty. I said, it's gross. Let me tell you, it was incredible. It was delicious. I'm like, yeah. So is he telling me I'm supposed to love my neighbor? Because we say we love hamburgers. Some of you may not know this, but I have a beautiful cream and rust-colored truck. I love my truck. Is that what he's telling us to do? Because we say we love hamburgers, and we say I love my truck. I love my church. Is that what he's supposed to, am I supposed to treat my enemy, like I treat you? Is that what he's saying? Because in English, we read this, and the world thinks they know what love means, and they say, you hypocrites! You're supposed to love your enemies! As Pastor Jason taught last week, does that mean we're supposed to be a doormat? What does that word love mean? Love your enemies. Because I love my children. I love my wife. I love my truck. I love hamburgers. I love the church. Very differently, but I use the same word every time. Now we get to this point in scriptures where it says, love your enemy. The different shades. There are four major Greek words that we use for love. The first Greek word, if you know Greek, you're not going to like how I say it, is storhe. That's a family love. There's eros, that's an intimate sexual love. There's phila, philia which is a brotherly love, and then there's agape, which is an unconditional love. And we know from the scriptures that he is calling us to this unconditional love. He's not telling you love your enemy like you love your wife, love your enemy like you love your kids. He's not saying that. But it is an unconditional love. Those international students, I learned a lot of words from the French ones, the German ones, and the Spanish ones. But my, my international students from China, it was very difficult. <laughs> and I said, just teach me the most simple word that you know. And they'd say, okay. So here's the word, ma. And they do this with their finger, ma. I go, what does that mean? They go, it means mom. Oh, great, okay. And they go, now, ma, ma. That means horse. Ma, ma. And then they'd say, and now the third word, ma. That means really. 
I'm like, and I might have it confused, but basic principle was the same. And so I'm like, so am I, what I, you know, I really wanted to walk up to their mom when their mom came and the student was graduating and, you know, say, oh, yo, but I was terrified. I, I don't know. Am I going to call her a horse? Am I going to call her a horse's mother? That's even worse than calling her a horse. Or she's going to be, well, why does he keep saying really? I don't know. Really what? What are you wanting to say, dude? What's your problem? Because I could listen and I'd say, say it again. And they go, ma. I don't hear the difference. I mean, I get the finger thing. That was what they were telling, trying to tell me what to do. But I didn't get it. So we read this. You say, oh, he says, love your enemies. That means you're supposed to be a doormat. Love your enemies. Like the Hallmark Channel says you're supposed to love and never tell anybody anything's wrong. Only tell them it's right. But if I love my kids that way, I'm the worst dad on the planet. The scripture is very clear. Love your children and you correct them. You tell them what is right. Even with your spouse, it's not always perfect. There's not always perfect agreement. Right? I have to sharpen her, she has to sharpen me. That's what this is called, right? We're in it together. There's not always, but oh no, because you love them. That's what the world thinks. They know what the word love means. Church, we cannot allow the world to define the word love. One commentator wrote this. He said, this love means that no matter what that person does to you, no matter how that person treats you, no matter if he insults you or injures you or grieves you, we will never allow any bitterness against them to invade our hearts. We will give them this unconditional agape love. We will seek to honor them. We will seek nothing but their highest good. Unconditional love your enemies. As I studied this, it's less about the love of the heart. You and I are really good at the love of the heart. Oh, yeah, I love the heart, right? You know, some cultures love through their liver. It really throws me off. I love you with all my liver. I just can't say it, right? <laughs> I will say I love you with all my heart. But then our culture thinks that they understand what the heart and what love, and they've defined it in a way which is contrary to this scripture. As Pastor Jason taught last week, is it about retaliation and retribution? Retribution? Is it, yeah, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth? Well, I like that unless it's me. When I've broken somebody's stuff, I don't want eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'd like for them to say, oh, it's okay, don't worry about it. And that might be easy to say when it's somebody you love or somebody who looks like you or somebody who acts like you or somebody who has the same interests as you. But when it's somebody that doesn't, oh, man, uh-uh. Hold that grudge, not seeking their highest good. This agape love, Jesus Christ, is the only one who can enable us to achieve that type of love. Matthew chapter 5, C.S. Lewis, I love his quotes in some of his writings and works, he referred to the, the Sermon on the Mount. He goes, listen, the Sermon on the Mount is like being knocked flat in the face with a sledgehammer. Each and every week we have been reeling with successive humiliating blows that question our faith. Pastor Jason taught us to be a radical truth giver. 
And today we're called to be radical love givers. We have to realize that this teaching is absurd. This teaching is offensive and beyond our capabilities. Last week, that eye for the eye, tooth for the tooth. Listen, listen. If they take your shirt, give them your coat. If they smack you in the face, turn and give them the other cheek. That's absurd. That's offensive. It it, it offends our sensibilities. Why is Christ saying this? Why is he saying, walk the extra mile once they make you walk the first mile? The only way this can be done is through our relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's many here today. We don't want you to miss it. We don't want you to miss it. If we only love those who it's easy to love, what kind of love is that? Just like the tax collector, one of the most hated people in their culture. Just like the brother who with natural attachment, right? Even the Gentiles, they love their brothers. That's not hard. You should love your brothers. He wants us to be like our father. So another one of those false friends. Verse 45, it says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Some people read that and they say, listen, if you don't love your enemies, you're not saved. Well, they use that verse as the proof text for it. In Greek, in even some languages today, they say, you know, Casablanca, right? You say house white, right? The adjectives sometimes end up on the wrong side or they have to be in these phrases. So when he says you want to be a son, the sons of your father, it's really calling us to be Christ-like. To be, if you love your enemies, that's how Christ would have us to be and you'll be like Christ. You'll be like God the Father. You'll be like God. You'll be like your father, It's not whether or not you are his actual child. You'll be like your father. Shouldn't that be our goal, to be Christ-like? What was Christ doing here preaching this if he wasn't calling his followers, his believers, to be like him? He goes, listen, don't love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Be like your father. Be like God. Be Christ-like. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But this can only be done through the power of God of the Holy Spirit, this unconditional goodwill and agape love. Romans 5, verses 7 through 9, tells us, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before, when you and I had not accepted Christ, I know this might be hard, we hated him. We loved our sin. We hated him. We were an enemy of God. And he is saying, love your enemies. Be Christ-like. Be God-like. Be a son of your father. And we can see that Christ, while we were yet sinners, Christ still died for us. Similar to the distortion on divorce, the biblical teaching was being abused. Similar to men divorcing for the wrong reasons, 
They abused the law. When they abused their oaths, they tried oaths, they tried to cheat, lie, steal. They tried to retaliate and have retribution. And now, this radical truth giving that he's calling us to brings us to a radical truth lover. We don't want to miss it. There are some here today that don't know Christ as their Savior. They've never come to that understanding. And the only way that you can follow the Sermon on the Mount is to have the Holy Spirit inside you. And the Holy Spirit comes inside you when you accept the gift that Jesus Christ came and died for our sins. While you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the penalty so that you and I don't have to pay our penalty. And we can accept this gift. Each week, we hear of people coming to know Christ. It's wonderful. But it makes us wonder if we're clearly saying it. Because the Holy Spirit comes to be with inside us. And it allows us to love our enemies. 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Church, I hear this frequently. Oh, I'll take care of that next week. I'll take care of that after I've done having my fun. I'll take care of that oh, when I you know, marry somebody and have kids. I'll take care of that when I'm done living my life the way I want to live my life. It doesn't allow to be that type of lover if you don't have the Holy Spirit. In that, while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 16, 8 says, And he comes, and he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We know that just like the Jews at this time, they hardened their hearts to the true teaching. You and I, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ, you can harden your heart when the Holy Spirit is telling you, I've come for you. You can harden your heart. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. Today is the day of salvation if you have not come to know Jesus Christ If you come forward at the end of this gathering, we will have somebody speak to you, show you from the scriptures, teach you. Because if you're hearing that, we don't want you to harden your heart. Don't harden your heart. For the church, for those of you who have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we're here today, and we can harden our hearts to this teaching, love your enemies. Roy, you don't understand what they did to me. I don't, but he does. Roy, you you don't know how bad it was where I grew up. I don't. But he does. Am I going to sit here and call him a liar when he says you can accept Jesus Christ, you can have the Holy Spirit, and you can have this type of love for your enemies? He didn't say it was going to be easy. 
We hear that at the end when it says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. We think we know what perfect means. Perfect does not mean some philosophical abstract perfection that we're going to achieve perfection. Perfect there means you're a tool used how you were intended to be used. He says, if you do, through the power of the Holy Spirit, love your enemies, then you're perfect because you're a tool being used how it's supposed to be used. It's perfect. That's what he's calling us to. Not saying that we're going to somehow be perfect. Romans 3, verses 9 through 11. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both the Jews and the Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. None is righteous, no, not one. The world is trying to tell you you're good enough. No, you're not. We're all going to make it. No, we're not. If we're all going to make it, he didn't have to come and die on the cross. But that's an easier talk on a Sunday morning. We have to use the scripture. We have to study the scripture. We have to gather under the scripture. We have to be involved in this process. And the Holy Spirit makes it clear that you and I can become full grown in our Christianity. And that is perfect when you become mature. Not perfect, you never do anything wrong, but perfect on that road to maturity, the tool being used, how it's to be used. Verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Church, it changes you when you pray for those who hate you. It changes you. It is the example that we see from Christ as he's dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins. He says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't know. We're called to love our enemies. Church, we're called to forgive them. They don't know. They don't know. Someday they'll know. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Someday they will know. But today, they don't know. We have to pray for those who persecute us. We have to ask God to change us, to perfect us, to be the tool as he intended to love those who hate us and to love those who persecute us and to love those who are our enemies. Please stand. Lord, we love you. And again, we ask for those who don't know you that they could come forward today and they could come to know you. Lord, I pray that they don't harden their hearts. I pray that they don't miss it, Lord. Oh, how we miss it sometimes. Lord, I pray that that the church, that we wouldn't miss this and we wouldn't harden our hearts. This is hard for us. Lord, it offends us. It offends the natural man to love our enemies, 
to pray for those who persecute us, to give that unconditional love, to only seek their good. We love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.